0: is it rolling bob talking dylan he's your host lucas hare he's your host carrie shale but he's our guest editor of uncut magazine michael bonner
1: mckinley hollered mckinley squalled doctor said mckinley death is on the wall say it to me if you got something to confess i heard all about it he was going down slow i heard it all the wireless radio down in the boondocks way down in key west spooky
0: (laughs) and a fabulous song and why did you choose it michael
1: well there's a couple of reasons really the song itself and also then having seen him perform it at two of the uk shows london two and glasgow one but the song itself i mean it it's terrific in as much as you feel like you're in the middle of a film noir you know, it opens, who's McKinley, what's he done, you know, why is he squalling, why is he hollering, who's the doctor, you know, is he a good doctor, is he a bad doctor, is it like Marathon Man or something, do you know what I mean? And the narrator, I heard all about it, you know, on the radio, you tuned into into the room down in the boondocks way down in Key West and from that you kind of, the implication is that Key West is somewhere... Have you ever read um, The Getaway by Jim Thompson? Yeah. Right, you know El Rey, where Doc and Carol are, that yeah, sort of yes. mythical kingdom where, mm, where criminals yes. all all head up. And as the song progresses and you learn more about this narrator, he was born on the wrong side of the tracks. At 12, I'm put in a suit and made to marry a prostitute. You know, all these kind of, what, what's all this about as well? You know, there's numerous narrative strands going on here. And so this is the sort of implication that somehow Key West has become like El Rey mm. or... or even in Casino, you know, the old guys out east, oh, you know, the mob yeah. bosses, those kind of senior mob bosses, and you kind of suspect that it is some kind of place where ne'er-do-wells go. But then, as the song progresses, it assumes this kind of redemptive landscape. You know, it's the enchanted land, the gateway key to innocence and purity. And and so is it then a place where bad guys go to find something good, you know, uh, to be born again, you may say. And there's this love story within it as well. So it's kind of, it wrong-foots you from the start. You think you're in some kind of crime caper. I mean, when I was working through that recitation for you, the, The Temptation... Is to adopt for the, for the doctor, you know, to adopt some sort of gruff Tom Waits style, McKinley, mm. you know, Death mm. Is On The Wall, you know, that kind of thing, because because mm. that's the territory that you feel that you're in, and and then it kind of wrong foots you and becomes something else. So, on an album of great songs, this is a great song for different reasons than many of the other tracks on Rough and Rowdy Ways are. But then the second thing is having seen the two. The two shows, very different shows, mm. at the Palladium and then at the the Armadillo in Glasgow. You know, very different theatres or very different venues. One's a theatre, one's like a conference centre, frankly. With two very different audiences, there's miles between the London audience and the, the, the kind of the Glasgow audience or the Scottish audience. And at London, too, Bob Britt was absent. Right, I was there that night as well. You were. You yeah. were. I think you were standing. Yeah in the queue behind me and my wife oh. for the bar before we went and, I, and I, I, swung, I thought that's Kerry Shale but I don't I didn't want to I didn't want to yeah, Kerry Shale i going coming to a be podcast ah! because I, I didn't want to I didn't know what your pre- show, R- you know, rituals were, I don't talk to, <laughs> don't anyone. Talk to anyone the night <laughs> of the show, you know. Don't look in the eye. Yeah, yeah don't look at me. <laughs> I saw uh, Kerry
2: actually sitting, I, he was the only person I recognised there. I, I was looking to see if I could find some, some celebrities or something. I thought, oh, Kerry. Did you see Jimmy Page? <laughs> I didn't see Jimmy Page, no. Oh,
1: I was blessed him for not being, you know, in some kind of, cordoned off area, but he was, mm-hmm. he was trying to clearly trying to get out after the show, and there's this line of guys go, oh, I saw you in 1975, Jimmy! And, it's like, yeah. and he was just being great about just it
0: too. and very gracious. I know. actually saw a quick Jimmy Page story, we can cut this out. Uh, I went to see Donovan do the Sunshine Superman Man okay. album at the Royal Albert Hall about ten years ago. It was my birthday, so it was quite a big deal, got fabulous seats. And everybody was thinking, I wonder if Jimmy Page will come out and play the uh, guitar solo yeah, right. for Hurdy Gurdy Man. And he came out unannounced yeah. to play the guitar solo for Hurdy Gurdy Man. But it was such a kind of a. It was a, done on the cheap, this thing. Like the sound system was terrible yeah. anyway. And uh, Donovan was introduced by one of his daughters, and it was all a sort of a. It was pretty terrible. Anyway, he came out to do the guitar solo, yeah. and they hadn't hooked him up. <laughs> and luckily, I was in like the third row. So I heard his little plinky electric guitar going. Yeah. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> it was just terrible and he did the entire guitar solo they never got him hooked up and then he walked off stage anyway that was destined to
2: live out spinal Tap for the rest of his life isn't he (laughs) in moments like that
1: I went to see Donovan in Edinburgh because I live in Edinburgh these days and um my wife and I went to see him as part of the the festival a couple of years ago before the pandemic showing his Beatles in India documentary which is kind of the footage is amazing and then he was being interviewed on stage Afterwards, and I forget who was meant to be interviewing him, but it was—it ended up being Eddie Reader from Fairground Attraction, okay. and it was scripted. The whole thing was scripted, so her questions were scripted and his answers were scripted, and it was so surreal because there are all these things that, like, where she'll ask a question and he'll go, "I'm glad you asked me that," you know, <laughs> you know, sort of in some sort of kind of weird. Is this is this ad-libbing? No, it's not. And
0: it was just very. Very surreal, very strange. Well, sounds, sounds terrible, Greg, <laughs> it sounds terrible. I mean, like this, this whole evening, yeah. this whole Sunshine Superman evening was pretty terrible. And I'm actually a big psychedelic Donovan fan. Like, right. I love his psychedelic, yeah. period. But it was all, you know that thing that Dylan used to do, that the intro about he came out of you know a haze of substance abuse, and blah, yeah, which was obviously a brilliant piss take. Yeah. Well, the intro to Donovan was, you know, he invented the psychedelic age and he wasn't kidding. And so that's why it was it was so self-aggrandizing and terrible. But he does have a Dylan connection, so I yeah, think yeah, we're okay. Yeah. We're okay with we're that. Okay with but that. go back to um, Key West. <laughs> well, yeah. So
1: yeah, we got to the fact that Bob Britt wasn't at the second London show, London 2. So I not only did I, was I fortunate to see the tour in two different venues with different audiences, but also kind of slightly different arrangements, because Bob Britt wasn't at the London show, but he was at the Glasgow show. And one of the things that I felt out of a concert of incredibly high musicianship and of a very high standard was Key West, which, I mean, you know, people talk about Black Rider as being the kind of the key to the live Ooh. show, and, and it's certainly one of the keys to the album, but I thought that there's something about Key West. Maybe it's its length, maybe it is this storytelling quality that I kind of, the narrator and his various kind of... um life experiences but there's also something about the musicianship of the song and I mean you know I always feel people talk about Dylan they talk about Dylan they don't talk about necessarily the music or the mm. the people around him and, and I really felt that there's something about the song the score the arrangements where it's what is it nine minutes on the album or something the like album. that it's it's the second longest piece on the mm. album after mm. Murder Most Foul and it maintains It maintains a kind of narrative momentum, but in this kind of slightly, sort of almost ambient, slightly amniotic, immersive way. It reminds me a bit of Nick Cave and sort of push the sky away. When that point where Cave dispenses with yeah verse chorus verse chorus and goes for something that's more kind of um, immersive and and uh, sort of meditative, meditative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And watching them do that, it's something that could fall flat on its face live. Because it doesn't have that verse chorus, verse chorus thing in in that conventional sense. But I thought that it worked so beautifully on both occasions and like I said in these very different environments. So yeah, I wanted to talk about it as a sort of root into talk about the shows really in a way, because we're in a blessed in another period of Peak Dylan, you know, yeah. and the shows and the book and Fragments to come and and everything like that. It feels like um
2: like a really good time to be to be a Bob Dylan fan. It is, isn't it? I mean I, I was at that show as well, and I didn't realize about the Bob Britt absence until I read about it later, and then I saw him again in London with him back. And I realized what a what a sort of unique evening I'd had and and had seen him backed by four musicians, and it was tight and wiry and kind of lots of sort of uncertainty in the air, and it made it very, very exciting. I want to ask you about Key West the song because I was listening to Rough and Rowdy Ways a lot recently and it strikes me that nearly every song on the album is either a statement of intent, a summing up, or a goodbye. Mm -hmm. Not quite as much as, say, all the songs on Bridge of Troubled Water are goodbyes, but Mm -hmm. nearly. I don't want to say that the whole thing is autobiographical, but there's a huge amount of first person on that album, much more than on any other Dylan album I can think of. And Key West particularly if you take Murder, Most Foul as an extra track, occupying its own side. Key West is kind of the ending and it's it's the retirement home, isn't it? It's, it's He's <laughs> he's headed to Florida and then that line, that's my story, but not where it ends. Yeah, There's a series of goodbyes on that album and I don't quite know where I'm going with this. It's just, it feels like something, there are a series of endings and there's a sort of finality to that. What do you think?
1: I, I think you are right and I think it's very interesting because a lot of people have been theorising about the tour being the goodbye you know because it's got a finite end of 2024 and at the last London show he took a kind of a, you know it's three curt three curt, it, it was you know incredible. his farewell to London and you know maybe there's something in it I mean you wouldn't blame him if he wanted to <laughs> stop and just make some iron gates for the for the rest of however long which in itself actually is a sort of a point because I realised that actually we so, obs- not obsessed, but we so talk about Dylan and the music and da-da-da, but there's so much else. You know, like there's this sort of train car that he, he made in in France. You know, there's more more art exhibitions and, and you realise that actually music is just this sort of very small part of a larger portfolio yeah. of creative expression, which has kind of become, I think, kind of really interesting. I mean, I did you go to the exhibition a couple of years ago at the Halcyon the lyrics yeah Mondo Scripto Mondo Scripto thank you which is fascinating that idea of him revisiting you know don't look back Mm. but I'm looking back don't look back but I'm looking back you Mm. know and it's kind of it's that sort of that tension isn't it I thought that was fascinating you know he's actually sat down well you hope he hasn't it's not another auto pen incident but but you know <laughs> the, he's he sat down and he's wrote out the kind of the cue cards again for yeah. um the, uh, the, uh, Horses, thank, thank you yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: the energy is boggling but mm. i funnily enough i read a review this morning of uh, the new nick hornby book it's called dickens and prince yes and it compares and contrasts these two geniuses and their energy levels like they neither they both died about 56 or 57 that was the big difference between them and bob but like they just never stopped until they they virtually dropped in their tracks well they did uh, and you would have expected that to happen to dylan but this is the amazing thing that he's still
1: sheer willpower i think he just yeah. it's it is extraordinary and i do think one of your guests was talking recently about how we have no right to expect there's no i think you were saying that there's no roadmap for people in their 70s and 80s mm. making this kind of making you know music and you're right there isn't which makes it all the more special and all, all the more exciting and and before he died cohen you know those last three leonard cohen mm. albums were yeah. extraordinary the last one certainly where where he is looking he is in conversation with the black rider you it know really very is. kind of very evidently and it's yes. that kind of weird thing black star with bowie where you know what's happened. It, it, are you fortunate to know? I don't know. But clearly, they knew that the end was in sight, mm. and they turned it into... An artistic process particularly you know. bowie didn't he all the bowie. clues that came
2: out after his I death and you realize the elvis reference to black star and all this and the, and the shared birthday and the sort of all sorts of little things
1: it's it, full of it it's yeah. absolutely full of it and it's all hiding in plain sight and you kind of you go back and go why didn't i realize you know yeah. if someone had said before he died you know what this album's all about death he's on his way out he's looking death. you just sit there and go really you know, oh, oh i don't know let's not you know no but yeah it's extraordinary and i think we talk about time out of mind as being that point, that turning point where he kind of goes right. The ripe old age of 56. The the ripe old age of 56. (laughs) Yeah, no, really. A lot of music is about that Peter Pan thing. You know, the Stones Mm -hmm. evidently have it. To an extent, McCartney, although I think McCartney... You know, I was fortunate enough to interview McCartney for Uncut when McCartney 3 came out. There's a point where you do feel that he's he's more reflective he's more aware of his age and and also his legacy and in a way that i think a lot of people compartmentalize that stuff because otherwise you wouldn't get out of bed or you'd go mad or something you know it's funny i went to mccartney's hog mill studios of God, it's maybe ten years ago to do him for something. And, you know, you walk into his kind of office thing and he's got like a yellow submarine model and he's got Beatles stuff there, you know, and it's kind of great fun. But he's clearly kind of at a point where he's he's at peace with that and what it means to be Paul McCartney. Yeah. But, you know, The Stones, it's still very much about that kind of um, rock and roll as a young person's undertaking. It'll be interesting when this new Stones album ever comes out, whether they've done that kind of roof or reflective autumn years. I can't imagine that that's in their nature they, so to could. Do they could just
0: sitting down do an acoustic
2: blues album of you know but I can't yeah. imagine
0: it's an in initial I, I had a kind of a stone's epiphany recently where I was uh, I had to have an MRI scan mm. done I had to be in there for like a long time well for me it was a long time and so I thought I'll listen to this you get earphones and I thought I'll, I'll listen to let it bleed it's like a, a joke right <laughs> yeah. but, it, but, I, it's a, but it's an album that I know really well so <clears throat> I thought this will take my mind off this you know horrible banging and it's just really frightening and and so they they put it on, it was a terrible, like, the connection was terrible, and it was sort of like, <laughs> and and I thought, oh no, the Stones was a terrible choice, because somehow it didn't help me, because in a way I could hear them sort of doing rock and roll, but how they were, it kind of just seemed fake to me. I thought, I need something to anchor me, so I, I, I actually stopped them and I said, can you guys put on bob dylan and they said oh we don't know if we got bob dylan i said he's very famous you know you, <laughs> i'm sure you'll find him because it was all on, on spotify yeah. or whatever they put on i asked them to put on bring it all back home mm. and it sort of centered me because i thought this is this is real this guy's real and they, they were kind of like fake at least that's and i love the stones mm. and i love the stones fakery mm. but when it comes right
1: down to it only Bob Dylan will do. But I think as well it's something about the relationship that the bands have with their audiences and what the audiences expect because is there a thing where you go and see a band like The Stones and for, you know, two hours you want to be transported back to your kind of the, you know, the vigorous youthful self that you were at 19, 20, 21 when you mm. first encountered these records or do you want to be at the age that you are now engaging with an artist, Dylan, let's say, are you together through life with mm. Bob? You know, I, sorry for the dreadful pun, but it's the relationship that the artist has with you and also that you have with the
2: artist, you know, it, and what you what you want. It reminds me of David Lynch. Mm-hmm. You know, David Lynch, uh, firstly, from what you were saying about, about Dylan and his sculpting and, his, and things like that, a lot of people who work with David Lynch say you only really understand him if you don't view him as a filmmaker, you view him as a painter mm. or a sound designer or both. And I was talking to Kerry about, Twin Peaks series three, which I'm a huge fan of, but I would never wish on anybody else because I know it really divides the pack, but it's a 17 hour Bob Dylan album. And it absolutely recognizes what it is to grow old. And it absolutely says to its audience, if you are coming back to expect something that you had 25 years ago, you have no right. And you are just going to be disappointed and probably angry because I'm doing something different because I am different and you are different. And if you can't get past that, that's your problem. And you're right and this also speaks
1: to the kind of the way that artists allow themselves to some extent to be manacled to the expectations of their fans because it's like the whole thing about dylan well why is he doing this to the songs i just want to hear you know, like a Rolling Stone, played like a Rolling Stone, I don't want to hear him oh, doing yeah. this. And it's kind of like, well, what right have you got to expect an artist to basically do karaoke versions of 40, 50, 60-year-old songs? You know, why don't you just let them do what they want to do? Mm. Um, if it was even possible
2: for them to just be the person they were 50 years ago, yeah, nobody's yeah,
1: going to yeah. be that. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. And I mean, I, I think um, you've read the book, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Have you read the book? Yeah, Gary? we both read You've book, both yeah. read it, yeah. right, okay. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the book is, you know, inevitably, once you kind of... You get through the mischief and you get through the, the levels of playfulness and, and is this is this all just a massive joke. I'm sure I read something where someone basically said, this is Dylan writing in the way that people write about Dylan. He's mimicking the kind of the, the critical noise around, around Dylan. But what I found interesting are what I think are the fleeting moments of real Dylan. But again, it might all just be a massive scam. Yeah. Can, you, can
0: you remember any of the
1: well, fleeting moments? Well, I may, I, may ah, I may have some, some prep. Notes. Well, okay, you know, I, I can just about remember six lines from Key West. But um, there were two things I thought were really interesting that I brought along. The first is in his piece on Ball of Confusion, because he's talking about protest songs. Yeah. And this is a man who's got some experience in that, as he rues the day, possibly, that he ever wrote that. But he's saying, writing a song like this, i.e. a protest song, can be deceptively easy. First, you assemble a laundry list of things people hate. For the most part, people are not going to like war, starvation, death, prejudice and the destruction of the environment. Then there's the trap of easy rhymes. Revolution, evolution, air pollution, segregation, demonstration... John Lennon got away with it by using his cheeky sense of humour to create a postmodern campfire song all about baggism and shaggism. But in less sure hands, one might as well write about the periodic table of elements with built-in rhymes about calcium, chromium and lithium. And it's just sort of interesting insight into songwriting but also something that in the back of his head he must have. there's that thing do you, do you know what I yeah mean? he's
2: the elephant in the room is bob
1: dylan right? I, mean, <laughs> I mean that's the thing <laughs> I, which brings <laughs> me to exactly to the next bit that i pulled out which is on uh, nina simone's don't let me be misunderstood he's talking about songs as art and he goes like any other piece of art songs are not seeking to be understood art can be appreciated or interpreted but there is seldom anything to understand whether it's dogs playing poker or Mona Lisa's smile, you gain nothing from understanding it. Perhaps you can gain something by understanding the context behind a painting, like The Raft of the Medusa by Theodore Gericault, or be titillated by the torn-from-today's-headlines energy of Banksy's latest broadside. But in either case, there is room for your feelings, your opinion sometimes art can be a blunt fist the colored rectangles of mark Rothko, the copious polka dots of Yo-Yo kasuma or john lennon's inexhaustible repetition of the phrase i want you in a single song <laughs> these are artists so in control of their tools that they know exactly what they're doing yet some people in their rush to judge brand the work simplistic don't let me be misunderstood there you go yeah
2: I, I, so that, that little uh, <laughs> mischievous mention of I want you as well, of course, which is another little elephant in the room moment. You know, yeah. someone else wrote a song with that in it. I mean, it's funny you quoted that second one because the, I remember liking the first extract much more because yeah. I think what happened to me is that I got about halfway through the book and started to hate it. <laughs> and, and then... <laughs> so everything from Were the you... first half I really like, but by the second half, and I'm not sure whether it's about the content hmm. or whether it's just me saying I've had enough of this shit now. I've had enough of this... Autopilot. I mean, never mind autopen. What about autopilot? The whole book is so half-arsed in places. I mean, well, How are you reading it? Were you reading it from, you know, no, cover to cover? I, cover no, of d- did I, I... I did audiobook, right, because oh, yeah. I, I bought the book and then thought, well, I want to read it and hear the voice of Bob Dylan. So I thought, well, why don't I just get the audiobook? Uh, I know I don't do audiobooks, but yeah. I'll try it and I can cope with Jeff Bridges and John Goodman and Steve Buscemi and the rest of the cast of The Big Lebowski doing yes. it, that's fine. And so I started that and I thought, well, this is the way to do it. I listened to two songs, then I'll listen to his chapter. And that was going fine until the playlist I downloaded ran out and they, they hadn't done the second half of the book or something, but it stopped at the Stephen Foster one. So I thought, fuck it, I'm just going to listen to the rest. So I listened to it fairly quickly. And then I got to things like, you know, there'll be a song that I love like by the time I get to Phoenix. Hmm. And I listened to it and then the chapter was over remarkably quickly. And I thought, I've learned nothing about that song that I didn't already know. And all I've heard is some old reactionary guy saying that he liked it too for exactly <laughs> the same reasons this is starting to piss me off but there's a bit the money honey chapter at the beginning yeah. i loved and i don't know whether it was near because it was near the beginning or because it was good but it reminded me of what you were just saying about art he says art is a disagreement money is an agreement <laughs> i like caravaggio you like basquiat we both like frida carlo and warhol leaves us cold art thrives with such spirited sparring that's why there can be some such thing as a national art form. Cue rant, 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 but the point is a good one. But then it builds to this thing which I cannot stop thinking about. He says, I had dinner a while back with a friend of mine who had recently lost his wife. Hmm. He said something to me that I had to think about for a while. He said, the only reason any of it means anything is because it ends. Unlike diamonds and gold, his time with his wife was truly finite and he had cherished every moment. Hmm. And I started thinking about this: the only reason anything means anything is because it ends. Hmm. Idea, and applying it to everyone's life, my own included, really? his career, art, music, and then I started to think about rough and rowdy ways. And I don't know what that means, but I cannot get the idea out of my head.
1: It's a sort of great existential question, isn't it? That, that life has meaning because it it ends yes you know if if we were immortal it wouldn't it sort of what's the point you know i mean death suffering it doesn't matter because you we, live forever well which is
2: interesting with, with the point of view, the rock stars that go yeah. on and on and on that yeah. we were talking about like the stones career doesn't seem to have any meaning much at the moment because it's just sort of it's been in free fall for decades, just on a constant sort of cycle with, with and It, it changes, will have meaning as soon as
0: you know one of the, I mean, the big you, Two yeah. pop off. Right, then, then it'll then, have an. Arc. Then I will go back to my yeah. Stones collection because I, I never listened to them anymore, mm. and they were you know one of my favorite bands of, of all time. Can I just say my my take on the mm. the book? You said uh, you don't give a shit. At one point, you thought I don't give a shit. So it's the ultimate bathroom book to yeah. me I, I had it in the bathroom until um, we thought we might be talking about it on the podcast so then I thought okay now I've got to <laughs> read it and actually it's not a good you don't sit down and read it which I attempted to do it's not it's not built that way it's it's a, it's it's meant to be um, a, a sit down and contemplate for um, 10 minutes at a time yeah. this, is, this is
2: a Nobel Prize winner we're talking about <laughs> well, well but that's the but sort yes, of book okay. that it is but, but,
0: I mean it's it's very funny it's yeah. very scary it's Deeply, deeply weird. Here's here's my notes that I've okay. brought. There's the um, the first chapter because I I thought the first ten chapters or so, the first ten songs were terrific. Then around that time, I got to the Pretender. Yeah, and then I thought. <laughs> what the hell i mean i it was Even it was Jackson great he is that. slippery he'll booze you up and strap you down <laughs> and he'll kill you with slogans and you think what and i i mean i didn't have to listen to that song because i i used to love that song you know yeah. I, I pretty much have it memorized but i i didn't understand anything he was saying but then i thought he said i love what he said about blue suede shoes these shoes weren't meant for the farm they weren't meant to step in pig shit and I thought, yeah, don't step on my blue suede. You know, I I thought, I, I get that. But then, that huge rant about war, the, uh, the song uh, War, and the final line, want to see a war criminal? Look into the mirror. <laughs> <I> thought, <laughs> oh, that's scary, really weird, right. and insane. Thank you. <laughs> And then here's another this is from blue moon i mean it's just i just started noting down stuff that's just completely nuts to me so in blue moon he talked about blue moon being a universal song and how universal it was he said it's more universal than and then he listed four songs don't know if you remember them it's more universal than yes we have no bananas (laughs) when i'm 64 (laughs) north to alaska and free man in paris well that's brilliant
2: That's the, the, port,
0: the only mention of Johnny <laughs> in the whole fucking <laughs> yes, book. Yes, yes. and yeah. then we go on to witchy woman. Oh, don't uh, woman. Oh, yes, oh, yes, it, witchy God. woman, witchy woman, witchy woman, witchy woman. And then he says, "Why not itchy woman?" It's just the best. <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Which is that was the funniest. I laughed out loud for that. That's
2: very
1: clever. Anyway, you've got your book. No, I was going to say because one of the things that it does sort of makes me feel like is, and the audio book kind of bears us out slightly is theme time radio hour. Because you mentioned blue suede shoes and you know at the top of that where he's going there are more songs about shoes than there are about hats pants and dresses combined ray price has kept walking back to him betty lou got a new pair chuck willis didn't want to hang his up etc etc and it feels like the setup for an episode of theme time radio which he's done about shoes which which we've got you know it's it's just i mean he
2: started writing this book i think uh, just after theme time radio hour okay so it's been going on for about 12 years It interests me that in the acknowledgements he thanks the people who talked him into carrying on with the book when he thought that it wasn't, you know, that worth it. I'm just wondering, <laughs> that decade-long 80. conversation where he thought, uh, is, is this a book? Is this really a book? And, you know, sycophatic friends say, Bob, you got to put this down. It's a great book. People are going to love it. You, you won the Nobel Prize. you you, you got to keep going with the book, Bob. But deep down he thought, actually, is this just a bit of hot air?
0: This is what he did during lockdown.
2: You, well, you know? yeah. And look my, look my, my
0: lockdown. Yeah. Just talking about the various rants. There's mm. various other yeah. rants that have still shocked me that I was sort of... I almost would not want people to actually see that I had this book in my bathroom. Yeah. Um, there's the uh, Come On to My House. What are they Rosemar- in your bathroom? Rosemary, well, that's, you know, where I do yeah. some of my findings. reading. The Rosemary Clooney. That's yeah. A, that's cool. So this is what he says. This is the song of the deviant, the pedophile, the mass murderer, the guy who's got 30 corpses under his basement and human skulls in the refrigerator. Now, I always thought it was a nice little song. But it's mad because the bit before that,
1: where he's done this brilliant kind of casual deployment of kind of information where he talks about the two guys who wrote it one of whom right. uh, who created it Alvin of the Chipmunks right, the and man. is also Jimmy Stewart's neighbour in Rear Window you know yeah. trivia fans if, and it's brilliant you know he's yeah. kind of made all these connections yeah. and then bang you're into Skulls Under the Basement and doesn't it get actually slightly more unpleasant as that bit goes on well
0: a lot of the a lot of the book does I don't know if it's the, that particular bit certainly there's the what was it Black Magic Woman where I am going to say it it was something no like, it's Witchy Woman it was, was a witchy yeah. woman okay well we know about that i don't like to use the the c word so it was about her c word is a a trap and a yeah the whole witchy the whole witchy woman song about witchy women i mean basically i stopped at that point because i thought this is misogynist shit i feel actually bad reading this
2: it also succeeded in making the eagles sound dangerous, which is a second. <laughs> Unex- Unexpe- you know.
1: Unexpected bonus. <laughs> no, the, the continuation of that bit about after you've got the, the human skulls in the refrigerator, okay. this is the kind of song where a black car rolls down the street, a window rolls down and a voice calls out, do you want to come over here for a second, little girl? I've got some pomegranates for you and figs, dates and cakes, all kind of erotic stuff, apples and plums and apricots. Come over here just for a second. That kind of thing I find really kind
0: of but it's so bizarre because what what people you know I don't know any uh pedophiles hopefully but what sort of people says do you want to come over and and have some dates Dates. and and pomegranates so it's so bizarre bizarre. yeah it's so it's so (laughs) strange I mean a lot of this book is so strange you just don't know what to do which is which is actually what dylan does like i think at one point i think you were going to choose possibly something from gates of eden i went back to gates of eden listen, you know listen to it yet again and that's sort of it's kind of pure dylan in the way that something like that is pure dylan Mm. you just think what the fuck are you talking about and yet it gives you a feeling it does give you a feeling of creepiness that deconstructing this I think you know Rosemary Clooney I did a bit of research on Rosemary Clooney's you know feelings about the song she was mm. forced to sing it because it is in a sort of Italian vernacular come on to my house and she didn't want to do that and, they, and Mitch Miller who uh, famously turned down Dylan wouldn't mm. produce Dylan in the first album forced her to do this bad Italian accent and it was like the her biggest hit and the hit that was the millstone around her neck but also made her into a household name like shut up your face like shut up your face and it's all so bizarre in a kind of ultimately a good way because ultimately when the dust settles you know next year when we think about this book because it always takes me a year or two or Mm. ten to really come to terms with what he's I can't I can't deal with anything he does The the first time I heard Murder Most Foul, I thought I was completely mystified and somewhat uh disgusted and confused and also intrigued but it now you know a year or is it two later two, two and a half I, I listened to it yesterday and I thought I love this song so much me too. I, I just yeah. adore it but it you know I certainly didn't at first listen
1: the Gates of Eden thing was that line what's real and and what's not because I often feel that that's the kind of at the nub of mm. what's going on when you talk about it. You know, you mention mm. you say pure Dylan. You know, it always comes back to what's real and what is not. What is pure Dylan? You know, and I kind of feel like it's like the, the Scorsese Rolling Thunder documentary when you're watching that and you think, "Fuck is Bob?" He's going, "Oh yeah, you know, I don't remember that." You know, and then and then you've suddenly got all these made up things before him with sharon stone and and uh, the guy who played the american van dorp so yeah 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 just amazing you know and you realize that there is all this there is the factual and then there is the quite literally the lie you know and it's just that kind of why are you doing this because you can because do you want to make something that's too real that's too true do you know what i mean you know you've got sam Shepard god rest him you know talking about the stone yeah. you've got that amazing footage of Joni doing coyote which yeah. is one of the sort of highlights of you know anything for the last sort of 10 years yeah. and you've got this kind of rich story with these people come together and the tour and it's great and then you know but you've got all this stuff and it's just made up you know and it's hilarious with it but what so why do it is it just simply because you can't have too much you can't give too much away you know and it's even it's even the same with with the bootlegs and that deep dive thing you know and you've kind of dylan in the studio and the kind of the stories that you hear and all this and you've got these beautiful packages that give you so much but do they give you but you know how's it been curated what's jeff rosen doing when Mm. he curates i'm not saying that he's got any kind of sinister agenda about not revealing too much but you know it's kind of like on um more blood more tracks when there's the track with Mick Jagger in the the room and it's just this sort of brilliant thing that does it mean anything does it not mean anything you know and it's but then you've got something like the cutting edge box set where you've got the disc that is just literally the stems for like a rolling stone and, and you know it's kind of it's the level of detail but perhaps it's not the level of Context, there's a distinction between what's real and what's
0: not. Mm. Yeah. Funnily enough, I was listening to another podcast uh, the last few days, and somebody was complaining about the fact that uh, they didn't credit Howard Alk and they didn't really credit Jacques Levy. Uh, And they could have, you know, they could have just said, oh, blah, 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 Howard Alk. They could have just. And I thought, well, that's not the point, actually. I mean, it is a shame, but we, you know, Dylan people know what really happened. It wouldn't be as good a piece of art, I don't think. If they had played it straight, I mean, I I was really glad that they they did all that uh, Van Dorp and Hmm. uh, Sharon Stone stuff. You know, I've seen enough Dylan documentaries, proper documentaries. I want to see some art about Dylan.
2: What interests me about that is that at the time I assumed that was Dylan's smoke and mirrors under the curation of Scorsese. But I now realize that through reading interviews that Martin Scorsese has not spoken to Dylan in 20 years. And he just made that documentary, looked at it, thought, oh, it's a documentary. Let's go back to the drawing board and do something fun with it. And in the spirit of Bob Dylan, came up with a fake documentary yeah. thing. Mm. I mean, Dylan must have loved it because it's completely... If it Dylan Rosen it. did
1: some of the interviews because I saw, mm. Ro- I saw Jeff at the screening of it and I said how much I enjoyed it. And, and I particularly enjoyed... Because I'm a huge Sam Shepard fan and I particularly enjoyed seeing Shepard. And I said, well, you know, when did you do that interview? And he said, I did it you know was it five years ago or something like that so rosen and i'm pretty sure that rosen did joan Baez as well interviewed joan bias as well yeah because he certainly Cause said, did them for no direction home
2: as well doesn't he, he did yeah. he did them like four or five years before that film. that's right
1: because it's that brilliant bit where and i'm sure it's rosen you hear him saying you know what's it like touring with bob or something and, and she just goes well you know what it's like touring with bob or something and you yeah, and you know that yeah. there's you're pretty sure that it's not just some
2: and that moment in No Direction Home, when he says, "You know, I got uh, these questions. People are asking me from, uh, you know, people like you asking me." <laughs> <laughs> you think, uh, "Okay, that's not Jules Holland or no. Scott say That's yeah,
0: You're a security manager." Absolutely. Have you ever interviewed Bob, or no, come I mean, close?
1: No, I, I, I haven't. I mean, I feel that we've interviewed so many people who've been in a room with Bob Dylan that I've, this is almost <laughs> as good as. No, I mean, it's funny because I always get the impression that he doesn't want to do music press interviews because you know there's too much kind of weight with it it's funny when i became features editor uncut many years ago i made a point of emailing jeff rosen to introduce myself and saying you know by the way if bob wants to and jeff's sort of reply was basically i think i'd said i think i'd sort of ended it by saying something like we'll even get him talking about his favorite episodes of the simpsons you know, I think Jeff's reply was something like, you know, you're more likely to get him to do that yeah. than you are, tell us about your new album or tell us about this. But then because... Bob Dylan's favorite, of the Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Series four.
0: When did they stop taking the official publicity photos for Dylan? Like 20 years ago? Yeah. I don't know
1: when it was. It is about 20 years ago. And live photography they stopped
2: maybe seven, eight years ago. For the bootleg series, which when this episode mm. goes out will be coming out in five days, but here we are in November it's a long way away but some of the photographs that have been released to do with that time out of mindset I've never seen any of those before and they look great and it's really exciting to see them from 96 97 you know
1: he does look terrific one of my f- I can probably say that I may have heard some of the fragments. Yeah, the you know. and one of the things that I saw I mean this kind of loops back a little bit to where we were with the shows is that kind of thing with Dylan and the dual guitarists? You yeah. know that that kind of thing that that I, what I thought was great when I eventually saw Bob Brett back for Glasgow. You know, it was the interplay between Doug Lancio and Bob Brett. You know, reminds me very much of those kind of Charlie Sexton, Stu Kimball, or Stu Kimball, Denny Freeman shows that I saw, or, or Charlie Sexton and Larry Campbell. And there is in Master Anonymous, which is a film I don't know if
0: you've ever. Oh Dis- yes,
1: discussed at length. Okay. Well,
0: not at length, but you we've know, had. <laughs> Imagine if David Lynch had directed that. <laughs> well, yeah. But
1: there is footage of them doing Cold Irons Bound. Mm.
0: Yeah. Would you mean they yeah. do a version in yeah. the film, which yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, the best thing in the film.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, and yeah. it's watching, it's watching Charlie Sexton and Larry Campbell, yeah. this dual leads playing off each other. It's mm. amazing. I'm always reminded that that thing that he has about dual guitarists and how that's kind of changed over the years as the nature of the material and the, the tours have changed yeah. you know what I mean? It's much more discreet and mm-hmm. supportive now.
0: I use uh, summer days as sort of an exercise right, uh, yeah. thing because yeah. it just it, 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 you can hear the, the dual guitars and, yeah. and uh, it sort of just smashes it but now it's uh, you would never call that sort of period beautiful whereas the current period is really quite beautiful and, and that those concerts were really beautiful that musically mm. they, were, they were But this, this is the thing and it's it, it is
1: the band he has a terrific band and and I think you know Charlie Drayton's drumming was, oh, was, yeah. was just beautiful he's like a cat kind she of lost a sort stick of during gotta serve somebody yes, in the we right. saw it. yeah you, this very kind of feline kind of movement yeah. but
0: it, was, it was so theatrical was so brilliant I brought my binoculars and uh, I wasn't that far away I was uh, really at the front of the uh, balcony but uh, I, I had my binoculars trained on Bob for most of the time then occasionally I would I would have them trained on uh, the drummer one of my favorite moments was there was one song I can't remember which one it was without drums and I was watching Charlie Drayton watching Dylan and that was fabulous because, you know, sometimes you're on stage in a play and they just keep you on for the whole time and you've got to be watching the other actors act. There's nothing more boring than, you know, for the, for the 40th time watching somebody do this particular scene. And you have to act that you're watching mm. and that you're interested. Whereas Charlie Drayton, who had been now been on tour with Dylan for, uh, well, since the earlier part, of the mm-hmm. whole year, really. Yeah. He was absolutely riveted, you know, and it was great to watch him, just like us, be riveted by Bob Dylan. You Mm. think he probably is never tired of it because Dylan's doing something different again. Yeah, they were all
1: good. And I feel like, you know, Tony Garnier and Donny Heron, who who are the senior players now, Mm -hmm. I suppose. But the London show when Bob Britt was absent and how much kind of Donny was picking up. Bob's bits and working with Doug and how it was just sort of interesting how the arrangements were different but not in such a way that it felt jarring you know I don't know how much notice Bob had given Bob that he wasn't going to be there or how long they'd spent working on these arrangements you know and how involved dylan himself was i mean whether it's just like you guys do it you know i'm just going to turn up and it'll sound great on the night because i trust you guys you know or whether they're all in a room working through you know what are you going to do with that line there how are you going to do it again it's just interesting it's just stuff that's more interesting to talk about yeah. <laughs> funnily enough i was
0: reading this morning in in the uh, well this uh, issue which you uh, right, right, i it? guess that was the december one was it yeah uh with and with bob on the cover and anyway i was reading the rob stoner article we've had rob on the on yeah, podcast yeah. not live but uh you know <laughs> and that was uh I was a, a an adventure, but he was talking ironically because we had a little trouble sort of corralling Rob to even just get on get him on the podcast, and he was talking about corralling the Rolling Thunder people to rehearse, Amazing. and of course, yeah. Bob was never at the rehearsals he was just trying to get other people to get the basics together, and of course, this was. Back in the heyday of substance substance abuse and, and all this stuff, and he said, you know he, he said, I used to go back to my uh, my room and listen to the tapes and try to you know get things together whereas yeah. everybody else was just out having fun. So the idea of Bob actually rehearsing the, with, the, with, the know, with, his, with the band is just hilarious. It, yeah. It's
1: funny, I mean sorry
2: I was just gonna I was gonna be cheeky and go back and, and just ask you how much you're allowed to discuss fragments fragments. I think Fragments, it's kind of interesting because
1: of the resonance that Time Out of Mind has. I was trying to work out where Fragments, the title, came from because there's a story that Dylan, he came up with the More Blood, More Tracks. I I think he did. I think he did. Which is brilliant. You know, and it's kind of made me wonder, as things come along as did he think of that or did Rosen and And I was reading a piece in the New Yorker on the wasteland that Anthony Lane wrote because that's its centenary he sort of mentions Dylan in passing and then he quotes a line from the end of the wasteland these fragments I have shored against my ruins and you just can't help it oh fragment of course that's That's it that's it
0: you know it is irresistible is it rolling Bob talking Dylan is recorded back home in Studio 3 at Lip Sync Studios.
2: Engineered by
0: Roisin King
2: and produced by Robin Guise. Music is by Sam Han. We're part of Pantheon
0: Podcast, the music podcast network. Find us on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. Grandpa died last week, and now he's buried in the rocks. And everybody still talks about how badly they were shocked, but me, I expected it to happen. I knew he'd lost control when he built a fire on Main Street and shot it full of holes.